chapter 7, verse 14. We're not even going to be there, but the Bible says, If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray, and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven, and will forgive their sin, and will heal their land. It doesn't say if the politics are right, or if, if everything is normal in the country. It says, If my people, which are called by my name, and it goes through a list, humble ourselves and pray, if we can do all those things, then God will turn us around. And it's in the young people. I told him that. It's, it's in America's young people. And God can really do a work. That's, that's why we do what we do at, at our college. That's, that's why we're here. It's hoping to train the next generation and really to inevitably keep America on track. But let's get on track here in this service, please. Um, otherwise, I'm going to get myself in trouble. Book of John, if you will. John chapter 5. Man, preacher, you should have stayed up here and started preaching. You, got, you started the service, and you were getting with it. Man, that was awesome. It's exciting to see revival start to break out. This is The girls were talking about it on the bus just, uh, just yesterday. But this is the kind of things you hear stories about. And it's, it's happening. It's amazing. It's a wonderful thing. Book of John, chapter number 5, if you will. John, chapter 5. We have here in John 5 a phenomenal story about Jesus doing a miracle, performing a miracle, and um, it's a very interesting story. We'll read the first nine verses, and if you all follow along, I'll go ahead and read John chapter number 5, verses 1 through 9. Jesus is coming from, from a, a, a time where he was just performing a miracle, and, and he's coming here now, and it says, After this there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is at Jerusalem by the sheep market a pool, which is called in the Hebrew tongue Bethesda, having five porches. In these lay a great multitude of impotent folk, of blind, halt, withered, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain season into the pool and troubled the water. Whosoever then first, after the troubling of the water, stepped in, was made whole of whatsoever disease he had. And a certain man was there which had an infirmity thirty and eight years. And when Jesus saw him lie and knew that he had been now a long time in that case, he saith unto him, Wilt thou be made whole? The impotent man answered him, Sir, I have no man when the water is troubled to put me into the pool. But while I am coming, another steppeth down before me. Jesus saith unto him, Rise, take up thy bed, and walk. And immediately the man was made whole and took up his bed and walked. And on the same day was the Sabbath. Let's go ahead and pray, and then we'll jump into this awesome story. Dear Heavenly Father, I ask that you would guide my words. Please help us to get something from your, from your wonderful word tonight. God, I ask that you help me to be able to share this story like it should be, and then to be able to apply a truth. God, I ask that you to be with these wonderful people and, and to help them, and please be with the preacher as he guides this church and is the shepherd. Please bless them. And Lord, I ask that you'd help our service tonight here with them to be a blessing. We ask these things in your name. Amen. We have a wonderful story here about Jesus performing a miracle. And of course, we know in the Bible we have many different miracles that Jesus performed. And this is one of the very early ones in his earthly ministry. And Jesus was, was came, and came and was born and lived about 30 years just as a common man. And working his trade as a carpenter, and then for about three and a half years, he was involved in ministry and, and doing what we remember of him, and performing miracles and preaching and, and all these things. And so, in that time span of three and a half years, very early on in that, we have this miracle here. 
And we have a man who was healed by the pool of Bethesda. And it's a very interesting story. And as we look at it, we find Jesus is coming into Jerusalem. And, and I can see him as he walks into this area, this pool of Bethesda. And the Bible says it had five porches and there was a great multitude of people in there. So we have a very expansive area with a lot of people around. And it said this multitude were impotent folk. The blind, the halt, and the withered. And they're all just there. And what they're there is they're waiting for the water to be troubled or to be stirred by the angel that would come down. And the Bible says that the first person that would get to that water and touch the water would be healed of absolute whatever they had. It may be something as as minor as, as a speech impediment or something that they can still live a normal life, but it causes them a little bit of uh, frustration. Or it may have been something as, as great as paralysis. It, it, was, it was absolutely anything, but the first person to touch that water was healed. And so we have this great multitude of people here waiting for that healing, and Jesus comes in with his disciples, and, and they're there. And I can see the disciples. I can kind of picture them as they walk in, and some of them may have reacted differently. And I think of Luke, and he probably was probably in his element being a physician, and this is, I feel like we can help these people. This is great. And Thomas was probably exactly on the opposite side, and I don't, I don't really know Jesus. I don't, I don't know if we can help him. There's a lot of people here. And I, John probably was there, just, you know, whatever you want, Jesus. You know, he was there with them, and, and they're, all, they're all going along, and, and they come up here to this man, and this man who, it says he had been there, as, as verse 6 says, a long time in this case. So they come to this man at this, at this pool of Bethesda, and he's had this infirmity, this disease, we know later on from his healing, that it had something to do with his ability to walk. So perhaps a paralysis from the waist down or something to that effect, he was unable to walk. And so he's had this for 38 years, and we don't have a whole lot of um, direction as to how old he is. He may be 38 years old. This may have been something from birth. He may be a little older, and this was from an injury or from, from something like that. We really don't know, but what we do know is he's had this for 38 years, and he's been by the pool a long time. Jesus said he's been now in that case a long time. And so Jesus comes up to him, and he asks him, he says, Wilt thou be made whole? Do you want to be healed? Seems like a funny question, right? I mean, he's there waiting for the moving of the water. But the fact that Jesus asked the question makes me realize that there were probably some people there who were not very passionate about wanting to be healed. There, were, there have got to have been some of that multitude who were, I'm here, I would love to be healed, but it's too much work. Or maybe, maybe it's not my time. But we see this man here, he says, wilt thou be made whole? So obviously the question was there to be, to be asked. And he says, sir, I have no man when the water is troubled to put me into the pool. But while I am coming, another steppeth down before me. So obviously this man wants to be healed because when every time the angel would come down, he's trying to get there. He says, while I'm coming... Another steppeth down before me. So if he's paralyzed to an extent and can't walk, I, I would imagine he probably was dragging himself toward the edge of that pool. And he would just drag himself and try to get there first, but someone would step down before him. Someone who had the ability to move very well. And so he says, I, I would love to be healed, but I don't have anybody to help me get healed. I, there's, sir, I have no man. There's no one here that can help me get that healing. There was great patience from this man, and he'd been impotent for 38 years. We also see he was working, trying to get healed. He wanted that healing. He wanted his life to be changed. And we see, of course, in verse 8, Jesus saith unto him, Arise, take up thy bed, and walk. And immediately the man was made whole. So it says, Jesus said, All right, you want to be healed? You're healed. And immediately he was healed. He had the ability to walk. He stands up, takes his bed, and, and he's walking now. 
His life did a complete 180 just by the words of the Master. And we see here a wonderful miracle that Jesus works. But I see a, a great parallel to us. So many churches are just like that. A great multitude of impotent, impotent folk. Spiritually, of course. Blind. Perhaps you've lost your vision. You've lost, what you, lost the sight of what God can do. Or the halts. Or maybe you feel like you can't quite do what you need to do. You may be just not able to get to where you need to be. Or the withered. I've been doing this a long time and I just, I'm getting a little burnt out. Churches are like that all over the place. A great multitude of impotent folk waiting for the moving of the water. Just waiting for God to do something. But let me tell you, God is a miracle working God. And God can do the miracles. As He did back then, He's still the same God. He can do it again today. We see in this story about a miracle some very interesting things as the story progresses. We see, let's, let's pick up reading in verse number 8. Jesus saith unto him, Rise, take up thy bed, and walk. And immediately the man was made whole. The man was made whole and took up his bed and walked. And on the same day was the Sabbath. The Jews therefore said unto him that was cured, It is the Sabbath day. It is not lawful for thee to carry thy bed. He answered them, He that made me whole, the same said unto me, Take up thy bed and walk. Then they asked him, What man is that which said unto thee, Take up thy bed and walk? And he that was healed wist not who it was, for Jesus had conveyed himself away, a multitude being in that place. So we see here, the people come to him, I'd imagine to be the Pharisees, and they, they come to him and, and say, and say well, well, what are you doing? He's walking down the street carrying his bed that he's been sleeping on for a long time, and this bed's all rolled up, and he's, he's carrying it, and they say, well, what, what are you doing? It's the Sabbath day, you can't, be, you can't be carrying your bed, that's work. And we know they were getting very legalistic, trying to follow the law to the letter. And they look at him and say, what are you doing? How could you possibly do this? And what happened was they missed the miracle. This man, who was unable to walk prior to this experience, is now walking and carrying his bed. But they were so caught up in the fact that he's carrying his bed, they missed the fact that he's able to walk. Now the Pharisees, they were good people. They really were. They lived so tightly to the letter of the law, they were, they were good people. They were unsaved because they were focusing on their abilities, but they were still good people nonetheless. And so, my guess, this is entirely assumption, you can take it for what it's worth, but I would assume that they knew who this man was because in trying to be good people, I would think they would have been to the pool at some point to, to minister to people, as we would sometimes pass out food to homeless people or things to that regard. I would assume that they would know who this man was because he's been there a long time. So they know that he doesn't have the ability to walk. And he's here now walking, and they entirely missed that. And they were focusing on the fact that he was breaking one of their laws. The Pharisees here, they missed the miracle. And let me tell you, sometimes God will work a miracle in the church, and He'll do a wonderful thing for us, and sometimes we'll miss it. Amen. Sometimes we're so caught up in the, the details, we're so caught up in the environment that we miss God's working. Don't allow yourself to be like that. Don't let yourself, and hey, we're all, we all get there sometimes, but don't let yourself get caught up in the details and caught up on the minor fact and miss the working of the Lord. In a church like this, I can just tell as we, as we come into a church, you can tell the spirit of the church, and this is a good place. This is a good church. So I know that God does work here. You could feel it in the beginning of the service, just in the way the whole thing opened. God works here. Don't miss out on the working of God. Don't be like the Pharisees and miss the miracle. Sometimes a sinner will walk an aisle and get saved and, 
and we'll get caught up on how they're dressed or what we heard them saying before the service or what we heard them listening to in their car outside. And we'll get so caught up in that that we'll miss the fact that God just saved somebody. They just received a spiritual healing. And sometimes we'll miss that. Don't allow yourself to miss the miracle. Well, what's a miracle? We, we don't have Jesus here anymore. What, what are a miracle? Well, obviously, sometimes a physical healing would be a miracle. I, I would guess in a room this, this size of, with enough people here that there's been somebody here who's been healed from a disease they didn't think they had a future with. I, I don't know the church. I don't know the people. But I feel safe in saying that God's healed some of you from very serious things. It's not always a physical healing. Sometimes it's a spiritual healing. Obviously, salvation alone, that's a miracle in and of itself. But sometimes a lost loved one getting saved, that's a miracle. Or, or a life that was, that was in the clutches of sin and, and struggling with addictions and problems, a life that was turned around, that's a miracle, friend. The revival we were talking about before the service, that's a miracle. God does work miracles. And we may not have Jesus in the flesh here today, but He's still a miracle-working God. And don't allow yourself to be one that misses the miracle. But hey, let me tell you, more than missing the, the miracles that happen in front of us on an everyday basis, don't be like the Pharisees in missing the miracle of salvation. Yes. Most of the time we come to a church, you get the Sunday night crowd. Most of the time, almost everyone in the room is saved, if not everyone. But sometimes there's the person who's struggling. Sometimes there's someone who's, who's not really settled it. And let me tell you tonight, I, I don't ever want to try to convince somebody into something, but let me tell you tonight, if you are struggling with knowing where you'll spend eternity, don't leave this room struggling with that same thing. Don't allow this service to close and us to get in our vehicles and head home and you not figure out where you'll spend eternity. Don't miss the miracles that God works in the church, yes, but don't miss the miracle that He can work in you. Don't miss the miracle of salvation. As I said earlier, the Pharisees, they were good people. They were. They lived a good life. They tried their best to be exemplary citizens. But they were living in their own strength. They were living, basing their future on what they could accomplish. So they were lost. And they missed the miracle of salvation. The greatest example of grace is salvation. God's wonderful grace. Man, you think about salvation and all that Jesus went through to make that possible for you. He went through what humanly should have killed most people halfway through it. He was beaten. They put him in a room and they, they blindfolded him and they would take turns, these massive Roman soldiers, punching him and asking him, well, if you're really Jesus, tell us who hit you. Go ahead. And of course, we know he spoke not a word. He just took it. They pulled the beard out of his face. They whipped him with a cat of nine tails and ripped the flesh off of his body. And of course, they hung him on a cross and they left him there. And as they dropped the cross into the ground, his bones came out of joint. Some of them protruding the skin as he said, my bones stare up at me. He went through all of that for us. So that you could have salvation. And of course, he died. But what made salvation possible was him rising again from the grave. That's an entirely different sermon. Praise God for that wonderful gift of salvation and don't miss it. Don't miss the miracles that God works every day, but don't miss the greatest miracle in knowing you have a home in heaven. The story goes on in verse number 14. Afterward, Jesus findeth him in the temple and saith unto him, sorry, and said unto him, Behold, thou art made whole, sin no more, lest a worse thing come unto thee. The man departed and told the Jews that it was Jesus which had made him whole. 
we see here, at first in verse 13, they asked him, who, who told you you could do this? Who gave you this? What, 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 where did this all come from? And it says he wist not who it was, because Jesus had conveyed himself away. But in verse 15, the man departed and told the Jews that it was Jesus which had made him whole. I see here we have the master of the miracle. There were the people that missed the miracle, but then we had the master of the miracle. And it was, at first, the man was unsure. I'm not really sure why he was. I mean, someone gave me the ability to walk. That's kind of impressive. But, nonetheless, he was unsure of how he got that. He wasn't really sure who it was. But in verse 14, he meets Jesus in the temple. Now, we don't have Jesus greeting him. That may have happened, just wasn't recorded in the canon of Scripture. I don't know. But I tend to think he knew it was Jesus because of the encounter in the temple. And Jesus said to him, Behold, thou art made whole. Sin no more, lest the worst thing come unto thee. Let me ask you this. Why would Jesus have said unto him, Why would Jesus... <laughs> you get reading the Bible too much, you start talking like it. it sounds a little weird. Um, why would Jesus say to him, Behold, thou art made whole? He already knows he can walk. He's been walking around. In fact, he walked to the temple. That healing, Jesus says, Behold, thou art made whole. We've moved past the physical healing now. Now we're talking about a spiritual healing. He says to him, Behold, thou art made whole. Now he's saying, You know what? I healed you in the ability to walk, but I'm going to heal you spiritually now, and I'm going to give you eternal life. You were at one point unable to walk, and I fixed that, but right now you're unable to live life and have life more abundant, but I'll fix that now too. And he says, Behold, thou art made whole, sin no more. So now, I think that's how he knew who it was, because, yes, someone had healed me, but I just received salvation, and there's no doubt in my mind who that was. It was Jesus. And we see the master of the miracle. And I'll tell you this, sometimes we lose sight. Yes, sometimes we miss the miracle. But even when we're focused on the wonderful things that God does, and the wonderful happenings of life, the miracles, sometimes we forget about the master of the miracle. And it's Jesus working the story. And sometimes, I'll be honest, sometimes we doubt. We all struggle with doubt, do we not? The devil knows that, and that's where he attacks us in our doubting. I think of a couple different examples of doubt in the Bible. I think of, of Thomas. Thomas is labeled as the doubter. One of Jesus' disciples spent every moment with Jesus for three and a half years, yet he's labeled as a doubter. Why is that? And even more so, this, and now this is just some, some history. You can take it or leave it. I can't really back it up with any Bible, but the Bible refers to him as Thomas, which is also called Didymus. And that mean, the meaning of that word, that name, is the twin. Yes. And so historians will tell us, now, think about it, if someone is referred to as the twin, they're kind of like the lesser, right? If, if, if I, you know, if, for example, let's, let's, if the president, if the president had a twin, he'd be known as the president's twin, would he not? The president would not be known as the twin, he's the president, he's the man you know. So this guy is referred to as the twin. So he must have a resemblance to somebody who's pretty important. Historians will tell us that that would have been Jesus. Now, you can take it or leave it for what it's worth. But if that is accurate, the man who literally looks like Jesus, and they also say that's probably why Judas had to kiss Jesus in the garden, because they couldn't tell him apart. But the man who looks, literally looks like Jesus is doubting Jesus. And even if, even if history is wrong, even if history is even if that was just a cool story that someone made up and told me, nonetheless, he spent three and a half years with Jesus. And he still was prone to doubt. Think about John the Baptist. On his deathbed, he sent disciples to ask Jesus, are you really the Messiah? Are you the one we've been waiting for? John the Baptist. 
This is the same man who, when, when, he was, his, when his mother was told that Jesus was coming, it says he leapt in the womb. He wasn't even a fully formed human. And the Holy Spirit was already working on him. This is the same man who had the opportunity to baptize Jesus. Right? And as he brings him out of the water, he visibly and audibly experienced God. God's, the Bible says God descended like a dove, and he heard God speak, Behold, this is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Yet still, on his deathbed, he doubted. What is that? That tells me that the devil knows we're prone to doubt. We are all prone to doubt. Let me tell you, with this man in this story, there was no doubt. He had no doubt in his mind who worked this miracle. And when we are fully in tune with Jesus, when we are in line like we're supposed to be and the miracle happens, we'll know. We'll know that it was the master of the miracle. And let me tell you, if the church is going to go on, if the church is going to grow and prosper, we have got to acknowledge the master of the miracle. Many of, many of you in this room have talents and wonderful gifts and, and you have great abilities and you can do a lot and you can really accomplish some things in your own. But it's easy to get caught up in that and miss out on the master of the miracle. The blessings in your life, the good times that come, and the wonderful happenings in the church here and also on a personal level for you, those are all because of the master of the miracle. Don't lose sight of the fact that Jesus is behind the miracle. And in your life, the good things that happen and the the positive events and all the wonderful things, it should all be because Jesus is the driving force behind you. Hey, that's, that's convicting, is it not? I'm... I'm sitting here, and we all get there. We all get to points where we're doing something in our own strength. It is extremely easy as you travel and sing and, and get the opportunity to preach. It's very easy to get caught up in your own, in your own abilities, in your own experience. We've got to pay attention and give heed to the master of the miracle. As we see in this story, this man, at first he had no idea how this all happened. He didn't know what the source was. But then he receives salvation in verse 14. And in verse 15, he's telling everybody. He's telling everybody, it was Jesus that made me whole. It was the master of the miracle. The story goes on a little bit more. Verse number 16. And therefore did the Jews persecute Jesus and sought to slay him, because he had done these things on the Sabbath day. But Jesus answered them, My father worketh hitherto, and I work. Therefore the Jews sought the more to kill him, because he had not only... Because he not only had broken the Sabbath, but said also that God was his Father, making himself equal with God. And we, of course, know that Jesus' claim is entirely valid. But they couldn't grasp it. And even, even today, as, as a believer, and, and having the Bible, it's still hard to grasp the Trinity and how that all works. But what we see here, the interesting thing to me is Jesus answered them and said, My Father worketh hitherto, and I work. We have the Master of the Miracle then gave us the message of the miracle and said, all of the glory goes to Jesus, goes to God. All of the glory goes to Him. Even the Son of God, who was the one who did the miracle, gave all the glory to Jesus. Gave all the glory to His Father. And I think if Jesus can give all the glory to the Father, I'm pretty sure we should as well. We have an awesome story, and and we see at the end of it, all of the glory has got to be directed to the Father. That's a, that's a personal thing as well as a corporate thing as a church. Yes, as a church, we've got to be giving all the glory to God and for everything. And anytime a, a lost person comes down the aisle and gets saved or a family's reunited or, or we have a big day and a wonderful time and the believers enjoy the fellowship and it's a wonderful time, all of the glory's got to go to God. 
But let me tell you, that's not just a thing for the church to do. That's not just a thing for us all to do. That's a personal thing. All of the glory has got to go to God in your personal life. You get a promotion at work. You have, a, you have something great that happens in your family. Or your child is, is doing well. And all these wonderful things that happen. All of the glory has got to go to God. And when we can figure that out, then God can continue to do miracle after miracle. We see here the message of the miracle. The whole reason this whole thing happened, Jesus said, it's my Father's work. It is all for the Father. And that is exactly how my life has got to be as a Christian. I've got to be growing as a Christian. And and yes, I should be working on a personal level and trying to, to become a better Christian. But that's not for my benefit. There's, that's the, the, the world gets caught up in that and be, being a better you. And that's, that's kind of the thing these days and how to, how to self-help and become a better you and all this. That's not, it's not for us. Life's not even for us. All of it is for the glory of God. And, and I believe we ought to grow. I believe you've got to be working to become a better Christian. We've got to be, we've got to be growing in our worship of God and in the way we sacrifice and give to the church of our money and our time and and we've got to be growing in that and growing in, in how we witness for God. We've got to be growing, yes, but it's not growing for the sake of us. It's growing so that God gets all the glory. At the end of the day, when the miracle happens, God has got to get all the glory. So we see here a wonderful story. A man was healed. A life was changed. Think about, think about the change that happened in that life. Not only, not even getting to the spiritual side. First of all, thinking about the physical he now has the ability to walk. He can work a job. Amen. He can provide. If he, if he has a family, he can provide for them. His entire life has been changed. And then, of course, in verse number 14, spiritually he receives salvation and even greater change. This incredible story, there were three different aspects. We had the people who entirely missed it. Don't allow yourself to be the one who misses the working of God. Don't miss out on God's working in this wonderful church. We also had the master of the miracle. The entire driving force behind the story. And let me tell you, if you don't have the master involved, there will be no miracle. If the master is not the power behind the work, there will be no work done. The church cannot succeed. The church cannot grow. The church cannot prosper without the power of God behind it. We have got to have in every sermon we preach, in every song we sing, in every visitor that comes down that we greet, in every aspect of the church's ministry, we've got to have the power of God behind it. And when that happens, then we get the opportunity to give all the glory to God. And if we can keep that going, if we can make sure that we're not missing it, but that we're using the Lord Jesus' power, and then we're giving God all the glory, if we can do that, the process repeats. And God continues to work. And many of you have seen it time and time again in your own life. I don't have to convince you of it. You're here tonight. You're in church. Many of you, if not all of you, are saved. I don't have to convince you that God works. But don't miss it. Don't miss God's working. And don't get caught up trying to, trying to do His work for Him. We've got to utilize the power of God. At the end of the day, we'll give Him all the glory. The ups and the downs. Life gets easy. Life gets hard. You have good times and bad times. But at the end of the day, all of the glory has got to go to God. We've got to give Him all the glory. And I believe if we do, He'll continue to work the miracles. And we'll see lives changed. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank You for Your Word.